You may be seated. For those who don't know me, I'm uh, Jim Harrell. I regularly, with my wife and family, attended here for, I think it was like 16, 17 years. So I feel like I'm home. So it is good to be back. Uh, I also lead a ministry called Overseed, which focuses on helping pastors revitalize churches in New England. And Bill Richards and I are very grateful for the church's support of that ministry. Well, join me in prayer. Father, we come before you this morning grateful that you would love us. Lord, when we think of the vastness of the universe, to think that you'd even be mindful of us, let alone love us, we're just grateful. We pray this morning that your word would encourage us, that we would be uh, thoughtful of you, and that you would warm our hearts with your word. In Jesus' name, amen. This past February, unfortunately, the L.A. Rams had their Super Bowl victory parade. And after the celebration was over, quarterback Matt Strafford and his wife were still on the platform. And a reporter came up and said, hey, can I take a picture of you two? And they were like, sure. But she couldn't quite get him in the picture. And so she backed up and she backed up and she backed up right off the platform. And Matt's wife rushes over to the stage, but Matt, he took a sip of water and went, oh my, and just walked away. Six foot high stage. Not his finest moment. And we've all had similar moments in our lives. Lives where we should have been a better person, but we weren't. What if you could be a better person? What if you could be someone who lived a more beautiful life? Well, our passage today actually opens for us God's pathway to becoming a more beautiful person. We're going to be looking at Colossians 3 today, and earlier in the book, in Colossians 2, Paul shares with us how faith, how salvation begins by faith. But then he goes on to explain that actually it continues by faith. In Colossians 2, 6 and 7, Paul says, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. You see, we're to walk in Christ the same way we came to Christ, by faith. But biblical faith is active. It, it moves us to be on mission. It moves us to embrace kingdom living. And it moves us to fuel our love for God. You see, walking by faith both propels us to live like Jesus, but also as we grow in our love for Jesus. So how do we do that? And in our text today, Paul gives us eight action words about how to live like Jesus. He gives us two words about being on mission. He gives us three words about how to embrace kingdom living. And then he gives us three words on how to fuel our love for Jesus. Now, these words are not one-time events, but rather it's more like a battle plan. These are areas of our life that require constant attention, day after day after day. 
Paul starts the passage with two words about being on mission. And so I'll be reading the text as we go along. Paul's first word is in Colossians 3.1. And the word is seek. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. You see, if you're a believer, you're to be seeking the things that are above. We're to be on a quest to live out eternity here and now in our everyday life. You see, becoming a good person means living with the end in mind. It's very similar to what Jesus taught us to pray. Thy kingdom come. We're to be on a mission fundamentally to make disciples of all nations. And what we find is that God's kingdom is really the only prize we're seeking after. And that brings us to the second word, concentrate. Paul said, set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Concentrate on the things above. As people of faith, we're to set our mind on the things above, not on the things that are of the earth. To live by faith means that we concentrate on the things of God. Now, a negative illustration of this is the Apostle Peter. If you remember, Jesus with, with the disciples, and he shares, Hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to die. And Peter goes, Far be it from Lord, that will never happen to you. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, get behind me, Satan, for you're setting your mind not on the things above, but on the things of earth. You see, Satan moves us to concentrate, to be consumed with all the details of life. And one of the evidences that we're actually concentrating on the things above is that we, like Jesus, begin to deny ourselves. We take up our cross. We follow Jesus sacrificially. See, the things above center on God's desire, God's goals, God's glory. And so faith moves us to begin to concentrate on those things. To think about how do we bring God's kingdom on earth? And how do we do that day in and day out? Someone once said, any of you sail? You know, the thing with the wind and the, you know, boat. Someone once said, it's the set of the sail, not the direction of the wind that determines which way you go. And there's a similar truth here. It's the set of the soul that determines our goal. And what we focus on, what we concentrate on, that's what determines the set of our soul. And what we concentrate on, therefore, becomes our goal. You see, Paul wants us to be on mission by both seeking the things above and by concentrating on the things above. However, if you begin to do that, you're going to face opposition. And the greatest opposition is actually going to be internal. And so Paul now begins to shift his focus to, so if we're doing that, how do then do we embrace living like Jesus? 
And that brings us to our third word, kill. It says in verse 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. Paul's saying there is only one way to combat the evil desires of the flesh inside you. You have to kill them. And these desires, they're highlighted by sexual sin. But he's referring to those things that directly compete with your affection for God. There is a war going on for your soul. And it's either kill or be killed. The flesh fights hard for you to fuel your desire for evil. You see, all of these, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, they are fueled by the last word, covetousness. Covetousness is an excessive, idolatrous desire for more. To experience sin again and again and again. And what it does is covetousness locks us into a lifestyle of immoral passions, of fueling our love for ourself rather than our love for God. And Paul is imploring us, don't give yourself to what is evil, but instead kill your evil desires. Ask God to forgive you. Acknowledge it as evil. Say no to what is wrong. And instead, worship God. We either worship ourselves or we worship God. And so we're to say no to sin, worship God, and rinse and repeat over and over again. It's simultaneously kind of simple and yet really hard to do. It's hard because we have to persevere under temptation while we kill an evil desire and replace it with a love for God. It's choosing to worship Jesus rather than longing for what is evil. And then doing that over and over and over again. One author explained it this way. We worshipped our way into this mess and we will worship our way out of it. If we kill what is earthly in us, if we begin to build this daily life cycle of choosing to worship Jesus, we're then empowered to begin to live more and more like Jesus. And that brings us to our next word, to put off or to put away. In verse 8, Paul said, Now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Basically, He's kind of giving the word picture of clothes. We need to take off the clothes that impede relationships. We're to take off those behaviors that disrupt relationships and rather put on those behaviors that actually build up relationships. And Paul lists five common ways that we mistreat people. Behaviors that, that harm our friendships. We need to put off anger, 
rage, malice, slander, filthy language. Let's say you're about to enter a coffee shop. And as you reach for the door, someone cuts in front of you so that they can get ahead of you in line. You're offended, kind of irritated, but you stand behind him. And as he gets to the counter, you're running late, and he orders some complicated multi-mix coffee, and then another one, and then another one, and then another one, and then he's got to look at his phone for the sixth one, the seventh. He orders eight of these things. And you finally sarcastically say, any day, bud. He turns and he gets in your face and basically tells you to shut up. You hold your peace, but you hatch a plan. And as he picks up his coffees and turns, you happen to have your foot strategically placed. <laughs> Boom! Mess everywhere. And you sarcastically say, you bleepity bleep deserved it. That's not the way Jesus would respond. You see, when you're cut off and you react internally, that's anger. When you speak up, that's when the anger leaks out. It's called rage or wrath. When you begin plotting how to trip him, that's revenge. That's malice. When you call him selfish, you're beginning to impute evil motives to him. That's slander. And then when you swear at him, that's filthy language. Now you may think, I would never do that. I might think it, but I would never do that. Maybe not in such a dramatic fashion. But ponder this truth. These harmful behaviors usually start from impatience. Tertullian, a second century church father, wrote these words. Nothing undertaken with impatience can be done without violence. Let me say that again. Nothing undertaken with impatience can be done without violence. We all wrestle with these behaviors. We might be more politically correct about it, but we still need to put them off. And then Paul goes on to identify two more behaviors to get rid of. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its evil practices, but have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. We need to put off lying. Because we're being renewed in the image of God. This is actually a reference back to Genesis 1-3. to When Adam and Eve chose to believe a lie and chose to disobey God. Basically corrupting the image of God. Now in Christ, we're set free. Our, the image of God is being renewed. But when we lie, we're actually reverting back to the image of Satan. 
we need to put off lying because it's not the image of God. The other behavior we're to put off is tribalism. We're hardwired to want to belong to a group. We naturally select some earthly tribe to identify with so that we, we feel that we're okay, that we're not alone, that we're a part of something bigger than us. In our culture, it's often a sports team, religious subgroup, political party, social justice, vax, anti-vax, and on and on and on it goes. But what Paul's saying is, is we have died. Our life is hidden in Christ. Dead people can't be part of an earthly tribe. As believers, we're members of Christ. We're one body. We find our community, our identity, our significance in Christ and Christ alone. There can't be tribes in the church. We're all one. And so we have to take these negative clothes that we wear and take them off. But the problem is, we readily excuse them in ourselves. Because we really want to believe the lie that the problem is in everybody else. No, Paul's saying, the problem is in here. And to become a good person, to live a beautiful life, begins with taking ownership of the real problem. That sin dwells in me. And that's the first step to taking the clothes off. I got to realize I need to change clothes. Well, that leads us to our next word, put on. There's new relational clothes that Paul wants us to put on. And this, this clothing actually has multiple layers to this outfit. It says in verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, Becoming, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. In Christ, we are holy and beloved. And we're to live that way towards everybody else. This first layer of relational clothing that we're to put on is having a posture of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And, and these aren't to be like dress-up clothes that you only put on for special occasions. No, these are to be the clothes that we wear every day. It's how we're to treat people, friend, acquaintance, workmates, even those we don't like. Imagine again, you're outside the coffee shop, longing for that cup of coffee, and you notice somebody gunning for the door. You could beat him. However, out of sympathy, you actually walk over and open the door for the person. And you turn to him and smile. Say, go ahead. And then as he details his slow articulation of his eight crazy coffee orders, you admire his ability to remember such detail. And you pray for him. You see, our first relational clothing has to be our posture towards people. You see, responding with sympathy towards someone, that's compassion. 
smiling at someone interrupting your schedule, that's kindness. Rushing to the back of the line, that's humility. Holding the door for someone else, that's just being gentle. Enduring the detailed order of coffee parts, that's called patience. And again, notice Paul saying, you need to do these things unless the guy's really a jerk. Or unless you're really, really in a hurry, then it's okay to change clothes. That's just to be who you are. Every day, all the time, reflecting Jesus to people. Now, on top of that, that's just the first set of clothing. On top of that posture of caring, the next layer of clothing that we're to put on is forbearance. We're to be merciful to one another. If someone is doing something that really, really bugs you, you just accept it. You die to yourself, you accommodate them. You know, do you like people tapping their pen? I don't. This drives me crazy. What's my posture going to be? Forbearance? Or impatience? See, the next layer of clothing then to put on after forbearance is actually forgiveness. If the person bugging you actually sins against you, then you're to forgive them. You don't retaliate. Rather, we're to be mindful that Jesus forgives us over and over and over again. And then the last layer, on top of this posture of compassion, forbearance, forgiveness, then we're to put on love. Because love binds everything together in perfect harmony. Basically, love addresses every other relational context. There is no out. We're to reflect Jesus all the time to every person every day. We're always to be loving. Can you imagine if we all wore that outfit? The world would take notice. Caring, forbearing, forgiving, loving. That is a beautiful person. And see, faith moves us to emulate Christ and to embrace kingdom living. Because that's the relational clothing that Jesus wore. We're to love others like Jesus does. And if we don't, there's no excuse. It's our fault. What's your typical reaction when you react unkindly to somebody? For most of my life, sadly, it was denial. You misunderstood me. You heard me wrong. That's not what I meant. And if that didn't work, well, then it was your fault. If you hadn't done that, then I wouldn't have done this. Uh, you know what my natural reaction wasn't? I'm sorry, forgive me. You see, we can either have a posture of irritation, or we can have a posture of compassion. When I act unkindly to someone, there's only one appropriate response. Repent and ask for forgiveness. 
I'm on a lifelong journey learning not to react to people, but rather to respond to people like Jesus. So how do you live out these first five words? How do we be on mission and embrace kingdom living? It's very tempting to think, I just got to get up tomorrow and try harder. But that kind of thinking is actually going to lead you to attempt to do this without God. And Satan wants you to be on mission. He wants you to embrace kingdom living without God. You know why? You're not going to be very good at it. Because these behaviors, they all flow from the heart. And only a sinful heart that has been redeemed and loves Jesus can begin to live like that. See, a true love for others flows from a true love for Jesus. To be a beautiful person, we desperately need to fuel our love for Jesus. And Paul's last three words are about how do we do that? How do we fuel our love for Jesus so that we actually are on mission and embracing kingdom living? The first word is actually rule. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Now, as you know, in the Bible, the heart isn't referring to emotions. Rather, it's referring to all that internal stuff, our thoughts, our decision-making ability, our emotions, our conscience, our knowledge of right and wrong. All of that internal functioning is what the Bible refers to when it says heart. In peace, is to rule the internal state of your heart. Now that word rule is actually describing an umpire. And an umpire, most of their job is to declare fouls. And to not be at peace is a foul. Peace is to rule our hearts, our thoughts, our decisions, our emotions. They're all to be governed by peace. Picture early morning by a lake. You grab some coffee, you walk down to the dock, and, and the lake is just glass. A few white clouds, blue sky. It's peaceful. Is that the state of your heart most of the time? We're to let peace be the controlling narrative of our heart. Most people live in a state of worry and agitation. And unable to stop it, it's actually agitation that rules their hearts. Paul's saying we have to choose to let peace rule our hearts. Now, fortunately, peace is a gift of God, but we have to choose to accept it. What we think about, what we feel, what we desire to do is to be filtered through the lens of peace. If a thought or a concern is not bringing you peace, either it needs to be eliminated or we need to bring it to God to ask him for his power to eliminate it. Peace it's a wonderful thing. 
It lowers anxiety. It fills you with grace. It gives you space to love people. And what you'll find is when you let peace rule your heart, it is actually going to fuel your love for Jesus. This inner peace both builds up and it flows from our walk with Christ. When we're resting in God's love, when we're talking with God, when we're engaging the world by faith in His sovereignty, the natural inclination of our heart is peace and gratitude. And our love for Christ will further fuel that gratitude. What you realize is, it's not duty, it's privilege. We get to walk with Christ. Choosing peace by faith with gratitude will move us to appreciate Christ more and more. Paul's next word is dwell. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. The word of God is to dwell in our mind. It's to live there, not be an occasional visitor. However, it's only going to happen if you let it. Paul's encouraging us, let the word of God dwell in you richly. When you think of dwelling richly, what, what comes to mind? I think of a home where, where everything's beautiful. Every corner of the room is decorated. Everything fits together. It, it's just richly designed. And it's fun to walk into. Our minds are to be like that. Every thought used to reflect the Word of God. All the decorations of our mind reflecting the beauty of Christ. And if we do that, if we let the Word of God dwell in our mind, you'll find that your love for Jesus grows more and more. We need to listen to the Bible. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to memorize it. We need to meditate. Think about it. All five of those ways contribute to letting the Word of God dwell richly in our minds. But it's relational. The goal isn't to know the Bible. The goal is to know Jesus. And the Bible allows us to spend time with Jesus. To hear His voice. To see the beauty of who Jesus is. There's a phrase in Ephesians later on in, in Ephesians 3, where Paul says that we might understand the breadth and the height and the width and the depth of God's love. And my first reaction to that is it doesn't seem that complicated. Love is love. But no, there is so much nuance to who God is. And as you spend time in the Word, God will reveal more and more and more of His beauty to you. Again, it's not duty it's privilege. Christ's word will fuel our love and allow us to live for Jesus more and more. And that brings us to our last word, which is do everything. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
When you do something in the name of someone, you represent that person. You move forward based on their authority, dependent on their power, doing everything in a manner that reflects well on that person. That includes what you do, how you do it, what you say. Paul is saying whatever you do, whatever you say, all of it's to be done in the name of Jesus. Everything public, everything private, everything you do is to reflect well on Jesus Christ. And this last word, it's to flow from thankfulness. Again, it's relational. We have the privilege of representing Jesus Christ. Another way to say this is, instead of wasting your life on all the details of earth, you get to invest your life in something that's going to last for eternity. Second Peter tells us that the world and everything in it is going to burn. Your house, your business, your car, someday it's all going to burn. There's only two things that last forever. God's word and people. And Jesus allows you to invest in both. To invest in things that are going to have consequences, impact for eternity. And as you do that, a funny thing happens. As you do everything with all your strength for Jesus, you find that your heart grows more in love with Jesus. We have the privilege of doing everything in the name of Jesus. As a Christian, everything you do, everything you say, has eternal worth. It's a privilege. Now, each of these last three words are connected to thankfulness. Our heart, our mind, our strength are to be focused on Jesus Christ from an attitude of thankfulness. Again, it's not duty, it's privilege. We have the unbelievable privilege of loving Jesus. These last three words are just another way of saying the great commandment. Love God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The way we fuel our love for Jesus is to let peace rule in our heart to let the word of God dwell in our mind and to give our strength to do everything in the name of Jesus. Engaging your heart, mind, and strength like that, you'll find that your love for Jesus will grow and grow and grow. We started the message with Colossians 2, 6, and 7. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You came to Christ by faith, and we live with Christ by faith. But it's an active faith. And these eight words show us how to live by faith. See, faith moves us to be a beautiful person, to live like Jesus. Walking by faith in Christ will propel you to be on mission. By seeking the things above, by concentrating on the things above, it will propel you to embrace this kingdom living by killing the passions that compete with God and by taking off the unloving behaviors and putting on the loving behaviors. 
And it will propel you to fuel your love for Jesus with your heart, with your mind, and your strength. You see, these eight words frame for us how to lean into this privilege of living like Jesus. To be on mission, to embrace kingdom living, to fuel your love for God. It boils down for this. Walking by faith propels us to live like Jesus as we fuel our love for Jesus. It's a lifelong journey of walking with Jesus day by day. Tomorrow morning, Monday morning, I encourage you, start your day by dwelling in God's Word. Let the peace of Christ rule the start of your day. Commit to giving your all to doing everything in the name of Jesus. Kill what is evil in you. Visualize taking off these evil behaviors and putting on compassion, forbearance, forgiveness, love. And that will allow you to concentrate on and to seek the things that are above. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for laying out for us how we can live like Jesus, how we can be a beautiful person. Lord, give us, empower us by your spirit to kill the evil in us, to put off these behaviors that hurt our friendships. Lord, give us the grace to be compassionate, to forbear each other, to forgive one another, and to love always. Lord, thanks for loving us. We pray all this to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.